0: The ACB Braille Forum, Volume 56, July 2017, Number One. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Bart Morse in the recording studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, Contact the National Office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions which are tax-deductible can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, The National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the Combined Federal Campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, Call the Washington Connection 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 605-475-8154 and choose Option 3. Tune in to ACB Radio at www.acbradio.org or by calling 605-475-8130. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at atacbnational.org or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash uppercase A lowercase m-e-r-i-c-a-n uppercase C lowercase o-u-n-c-i-l o-f-t-h-e uppercase B lowercase l-i-n-d uppercase O lowercase f-f-i-c-i-a-l Copyright 2017 American Council of the Blind, Eric Bridges, Executive Director, Sharon Lovering, Editor, 1703 North Beauregard Street, Suite 420, Alexandria, Virginia, 22311. Table of Contents A Message from the President J.P. Morgan Chase, ACB Leadership Fellows Class of 2017, by Kim Charlson. Local Motors Brings Advocates and Innovators Together to Meet Ollie by Tony Stevens Staying Connected in Sparks by Janet Dickelman Let's Dance, How I Dealt with Choreography by Kelsey Nicolay Last Show of the Season by Marcia Springston Dillon Quiet Heroism of Amazing People by Larry P. Johnson Instant Braille Translator can fit in your hand. Book Review Giving a Listen to the Untold Story of the Talking Book by Bill Holton Here and There Edited by Sharon Strakowski High Tech Swap Shop Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office 1-800-424-8666 or via email, s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org. Give her the information and she'll make the changes for you. Keep up with the most important ACB news and announcements without any other chatter. Subscribe to the ACB Announce List Serve. Send a blank email to ANNOUNCE SUBSCRIBE at acblists.org or visit www.acblists.org, Slash, MAILMAN, Slash, LISTINFO slash A-N-N-O-U-N-C-E and type your email address and name where indicated. Want to listen to the ACB convention? To hear the general sessions, go to org slash M-A-I-N-S-T-R-E-A-M For the workshops, go to acbradio.org slash L-I-V-E and if you want to listen to the Friends in Art showcase, go to acbradio.org slash C-A-F-E. A Message from the President J.P. Morgan Chase, ACB Leadership Fellows Class of 2017 By Kim Charlson As ACB approaches its 56th annual conference and convention, we are continuing to place more emphasis as an organization on investing in the development of new leadership talent for the future. A special second-year grant from J.P. Morgan Chase, JPMC, is allowing ACB to continue to offer a program which will bring five ACB members with recognized leadership potential to the July 2017 National Conference and Convention in Reno, Nevada. These individuals needed to satisfy three basic criteria, be 18 years of age or older, be blind or visually impaired, and be members in good standing of ACB. Each applicant had to be recommended by the president of their respective affiliate. The application process for the JPMC ACB Leadership Fellows included the submission of a written essay stating why the applicant felt they should be considered for this award. 2. Letters of Recommendation, and Participation in a Telephone Screening Interview with the DKM Committee. Factors considered in the selection process included the applicant's reasons for applying for the Leadership Award, a brief summary of the applicant's education and relevant experience, number of years of membership in ACB as well as previous conventions attended, if any, description of one's role as a leader, and an assessment of what one feels they bring to ACB. All award recipients receive round-trip transportation, hotel accommodation double occupancy, per diem stipend for meals and incidentals, convention registration fee, and reception and banquet tickets. Recipients are expected to attend the convention from the opening session Saturday evening, July 1, through the Thursday evening banquet, July 6 and to participate actively in all convention activities, including the daily general sessions, special interest presentations, seminars and workshops. I want to congratulate all of these talented individuals and thank them for the contributions they have already made and for the many more important things I know all of them will do in the future. Thank you also to J.P. Morgan Chase for its ongoing support of ACB. Introducing the Class of 2017 J.P. Morgan Chase, ACB Leadership Fellows Anthony Akamine, Honolulu, Hawaii Anthony graduated from Kapiolani Community College in 1994 with his associate's degree in sales and marketing and a certificate in marketing and human relations. He holds an extra-class amateur radio license. He served as the President of the Student Congress at Capiolani Community College, and he served in a variety of leadership roles on the Disability and Communication Access Board, DCAB. Currently, he is a core team member of John 1721, which is a resource ministry that advises churches on how faith-based groups can become more inclusive and accessible to people with disabilities. Since becoming a Hawaii Association of the Blind member, he serves as the HAB representative for the City Citizens Advisory Group to the Oahu Metropolitan Planning Organization. Anthony is also a member of the Hawaii Association of Blind Students, HAB Parents of Blind Children, and a supporter of Maui's Kiki Parents of Visually Impaired Children Group. Lori Allison, Tacoma, Washington once she got involved with ACB and WCB, Lori was elected president of her local chapter for seven years. Lori served two terms on the WCB board, chaired the Membership Committee, WCB Convention Committee, and she currently chairs the Families with Blind Children Committee. Lori obtained her associate's degree as a medical office assistant with certificates in medical billing and medical transcription. She was honored in 2010 as the Tacoma Area Disability Advocate of the Year. Sarah Harris, Fresno, California In November of 2002, Sarah's life was changed forever when she was involved in a major car accident. She lost her vision in a split second. One year later, she welcomed her daughter, Carson, into the world and she had a new and important purpose. She spent the next few years focusing on being a mother and learning how to live as a blind person in a sighted world. She started volunteering at Valley Center for the Blind in Fresno and in 2014 was introduced to the California Council of the Blind. Later that year, she was elected as local chapter vice president. She has served as fundraising committee chair, done outreach presentations in the community, organized White Cane Day awareness events, and has become an advocate on the local level. Last August, Sarah was appointed to the Transportation Subcommittee for the Disability Advisory Commission for the City of Fresno, and this year she became the president of CCB's Fresno Chapter. Daisy Russell, Melrose, Massachusetts Daisy is a sophomore at Wheelock College in Boston, working toward a double major in Educational Studies and Humanities Literature, with a minor in Writing. In May, she traveled with her college to Nicaragua for a service learning trip to assist with education and literacy opportunities for children there and to gain more real-world experience and investigate the Peace Corps as a possibility after college. Daisy currently participates in Wheelock Student Theater as a member and secretary and is presently helping to form VoiceAbility, an advocacy, awareness, and support group for students with disabilities and their allies on campus. Daisy has been a member of ACB since the age of 15, and she was one of the founding members of the student chapter of the Bay State Council of the Blind. She currently serves as their president. Michelle Zentz, Fargo, North Dakota Michelle is a graduate of North Dakota State University, where she received a Bachelor of Science in Human Development and Education, majoring in child development and family science, and she worked part-time as an accessibility consultant for NDSU's Information Technology Department. She has been a member of the North Dakota Association of the Blind, NDAB, and ACB for the past 20 years. In 2016, Michelle received the NDAB Edwin Christensen Award where her 11 years of board service, including as president and past president, were recognized. She has worked for seven years with the NDAB Family Adjustment Seminar, been an instructor at summer camp, and is active in the Ski for Light program. Michelle participates in NDAB's fundraising efforts, is a member of the Constitution and Bylaws Committee, and serves as the current chairperson of the NDAB Nominating Committee. In her community, she provides information and referral services, operates the Suicide Prevention Hotline, and serves on her local independent living center board as the vice president. Local Motors Brings Advocates and Innovators Together to Meet Ollie by Tony Stevens To read this article online, Go to www.aapd.com slash t e c h n o l o g y f o r u m m a y two zero one seven This week on the eve of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, Disability advocates and technology leaders joined in a tour of Local Motors' office in National Harbor, Maryland, just down the Potomac from our nation's capital. Advocates and innovators experienced the future of transportation, and there was a sense of optimism amongst our group as we listened to IBM's Watson greet us from inside a scaled-down version of the fully autonomous shuttle named Ollie. The name of the revolutionary vehicle comes from the Italian word for octopus, a nod given from the vehicle's creator, who pitched the idea to local motors after a global crowdsourcing competition. The vehicle, debuted in National Harbor last summer, was not just revolutionary by being the world's first cognitively aware fully autonomous shuttle, but using Local Motors' innovative 3D printing micro-manufacturing model, it was able to go from design to final production in only three months. Working with IBM and the CTA Foundation – Local Motors is moving forward toward making the next generation of Ollie to be the world's most accessible vehicle in the world. And leveraging their innovative tactics toward design and manufacturing, concepts that once seemed science fiction are becoming reality at a speed similar to that on the Autobahn. One of the greatest barriers to independence for people with disabilities has been accessible transportation. In the same breath, one of the greatest barrier busters for independence of people with disabilities has been the recent innovations through technology to augment the loss of particular abilities. This is what makes the Ollie vehicle so promising for those looking to innovate in a way that can push the envelope for true, universal design. Last year, I had the opportunity to serve on the Department of Transportation's negotiated Rulemaking Committee for the Air Carrier Access Act, where advocates and airline industry leaders got together to find ways to make air travel more accessible. The experience was a complete eye-opener, pardon the pun, on the constraints that traditional manufacturing places on innovation around universal design. Trying to make a Boeing 737 fully accessible was like trying to turn an aircraft carrier around on a dime. Of course, neighborhood electric vehicles, NEV, have far fewer constraints than jet aircraft. However, local motors demonstrated the process by which a traditional highway vehicle with 2,500 parts could be supplanted by a 3D printer in under 44 hours with just 44 parts. Local Motors achieves its success around innovation using concepts still being developed through the intersection of crowdsourcing and micromanufacturing. This method turns traditional manufacturing constraints upside down, breaking down barriers to what was often tethered to costly R&D. Such changes in the paradigm of manufacturing hold significant opportunities in the sphere of accessible design. It's in this same spirit that Local Motors, IBM, and CTA Foundation are reaching out to accessibility-minded groups in hopes to create a vehicle that can be accessible to everyone. It might not be a car that can fly, but it has the potential of being a vehicle that communicates in multiple mediums, including ASL, can tell blind passengers which way to the front door, have self-releasing ramps for wheelchairs, Send messages to family members on the travel status of their loved ones with cognitive disabilities or any other accessibility feature that you can dare to dream. Indeed, that's where the biggest challenge will lie, not in what we refuse to do, but in what we refuse to imagine. To learn more about Ollie's pathway toward full universal design, visit www.youtube.com slash w-a-t-c-h question mark v equal sign capital X capital Q capital U numeral 6 lowercase b Capital G, capital V, capital R, capital R, capital W, capital E. Staying Connected in Sparks by Janet Dickelman Many of you will be reading this article as you are packing for Nevada. This year's convention will definitely live up to the theme ACB Sparks Success. We have so many things to be proud of as an organization. Come and hear about all our successes during our general sessions Saturday, July 1 from 7 to 10 p.m., Sunday through Wednesday, 8.30 a.m. to noon, and Thursday from 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Tech Sessions Offered by ACB Sponsors The following sessions had not yet been scheduled when I wrote the article featuring tech sessions in the June ACBE Forum. Sunday, July 2nd through Tuesday, July 4th, 4.15 to 8 p.m. Charter Communications will be present at the conference and seeks participants to evaluate the accessibility of Spectrum Web TV and mobile products. Please join us for a 30-minute usability session to try out our products and share your experiences so we can continue improving our accessibility efforts. To reserve a spot, email john.sweet@charter.com. at Tuesday, July fourth, 2.45 to 5.30 p.m. Microsoft will conduct a usability study to evaluate the accessibility of Office 365 products. Please participate in this session to help us better understand your needs, wants, and pain points to improve Microsoft technology. For questions or to reserve a spot, email accevent at microsoft.com. Walk-ins are welcome. Also on Tuesday from 4.15 to 5.30 p.m., Sprint Workshop iPhone and Android Tips and Tricks Wednesday, July 5th and Thursday, July 6th, from 9 a.m. to 5.15 p.m., J.P. Morgan Chase & Company will conduct focus groups. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company is committed to meeting the banking and financial services needs of all our customers. Members of our digital team will be on site to show you how we make digital products accessible and usable by all. We would like your input on changes that we're making to our online banking site. In these sessions of one to two participants, we will ask you to complete common banking tasks on the Chase website to get your feedback. Sessions are expected to last approximately one hour. To attend one of the sessions, please contact Mark Kwok at marc.kwok at chase.com you will be asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement in advance of the session. For those of you who are still thinking about attending the convention, it isn't too late. Don't miss out on the outstanding general sessions, informative seminars and programming, the fabulous tours, and the excitement of the exhibit hall. You can still book a room at the Nugget Casino and Resort, the home of the 56th Annual Conference and Convention. Reservation details are shown at the end of this article Convention dates are June 30th through July 7th Read on for more information For those of you who are still thinking about attending the convention On-site registration is just $25 If you are in the Reno area and plan to come for just one day You can purchase a one-day pass for $5 Staying in touch from home If you are unable to attend this year, there are many ways to be a part of the excitement. ACB Radio lets you stay connected with everything that is going on from the comfort of your home or office. Note all times shown are Pacific time. Be a part of the excitement of opening session, listen to all the speakers, and follow ACB Business and Elections. General sessions begin Saturday evening, July 1 at 7 p.m., And run Sunday through Wednesday, 8.30 a.m. until noon, and Thursday from 8.30 a.m. until 5.00 p.m. Also on ACB Radio, hear what the candidates for ACB office have to say as they answer questions at the Candidates Forum, Tuesday, July 4th at 5.45 p.m. Hear all the great performances from the Friends in Art Showcase on Tuesday evening at 7.30 Listen to ACB's banquet, including the banquet speaker Norma Jean Wick, the 2016 Summer Olympics audio describer, presentation of awards, and announcement of the ACB Braille Forum raffle winners on Thursday, July 6th at 7 p.m. Once again this year, ACB Radio will be broadcasting one afternoon session as a live broadcast. All live broadcasts will be on ACB Radio Mainstream. Other ACB committee sessions will be recorded and broadcast later in the day on ACB Radio Live Event. No computer? No problem. You can listen to ACB Radio over the telephone by calling 605-475-8130. Please keep in mind that long-distance charges apply. Convention Announce Email List To subscribe to the Convention Announce List, just send a blank email to acbconvention-subscribe at acblists.org. Convention Newspaper Keep up with what's going on at the convention with the Reno Roundup, our convention newspaper published Saturday, July 1 through Thursday, July 6. The newspaper will be posted to the convention announce list. Social Media Follow the latest goings-on at the convention on Facebook and Twitter. To follow us on Twitter, go to www.twitter.com slash acbnational or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash capital A, lowercase m e r i c a n, capital C, lowercase o u n c i l o f t h e capital B, lowercase l-i-n-d, capital O, lowercase f-f-i-c-i-a-l. Follow the convention via ACB Link on your iPhone. Download and install ACB Link from the iOS App Store. We will be sending out information and updates pertaining to the convention, for example, room changes. In addition, direct access to the ACB convention calendar, can be obtained from within ACB link streaming coverage of the convention can also be heard via ACB link for those who are not at convention or who are working in areas other than the convention ballroom coming to sparks for those of you who will be attending the convention make sure to visit the ACB information desk where you will find material in braille large print and computer downloads hotel orientation local business information, and the convention newspaper are just some of the items that will be waiting for you. All information will be available in large print, braille, and downloadable formats. Whether you are in Sparks or staying connected with us from home, I hope you have a wonderful convention experience. Feel free to contact me any time during the convention. You can either leave a message for me in my room at the Nugget or call my cell phone. 651-428-5059. Six five one four two eight five zero five nine. I look forward to seeing you in Sparks. Hotel Details All rooms at the Nugget have refrigerators and safes. Room rates are $89, single or double occupancy, with an additional $10 per person for up to 4 people per room. Room tax is currently 13.5%. There is also a $2 per day tourism tax added to each room. When you book your reservation, one night's stay will be charged to your credit card. Included in the room rate is the hotel resort fee, which includes round-trip shuttle transportation to and from Reno-Tahoe International Airport, complimentary wireless internet in guest rooms, daily complimentary bottled water, two bottles per room per day, Unlimited use of the year-round atrium pool, unlimited use of the fitness center, full-service concierge, and valet and self-parking in the secured covered parking structure. To make reservations via telephone, call 1-800-648-1177 and ask for group code GACB17. You may also make reservations online by visiting www.acb.org and following the 2017 Conference and Convention link. Convention Contacts 2017 Exhibit Information Michael Smitherman, 601-331-7740, amduo at bellsouth.net 2017 Advertising and Sponsorships. Margarine Beeman, 512 921 1625. OLEO, numeral 50, at HOTMAIL.com. For any other convention related questions, contact Janet Dickelman, Convention Chair, at 651 428 5059 or via email. J-A-N-E-T dot D-I-C-K-E-L-M-A-N at G-M-A-I-L dot com. Let's Dance, How I Dealt With Choreography by Kelsey Nicolay. I have been singing in choir since the fourth grade without much difficulty. However, one day in my freshman chorus... The director gave us the music we would be performing at the end-of-year show with choreography. I was really nervous about how it would go. How would I remember the moves? How would I move around without my cane? What about getting on and off stage? My choir director assured me that I would dance and participate like everyone else and that they would find ways to make it happen. We ended up having someone come in to help me. The choir director chose someone who was in show choir and had more dance experience. It worked out really well once the choir director found someone. The person the director found seemed to know instinctively that I was capable of doing the moves on my own once I learned them, and made sure that as soon as she felt I was ready, she insisted that I do as much as I could without her holding onto my arms. After about a week, she said, I'm not going to help you too much today because I want you to be able to do it on your own during performance. I didn't do the moves perfectly the first few times I did them alone, but I knew that with repetition I would learn them, and I did. By two weeks before performance, I could do almost all of it alone, and she could simply watch from a distance and correct me if necessary. Performance weekend went pretty well. While the first show time was mostly successful, I had a few setbacks. For instance, like most students, I chose to take part in my grade's student-led ensemble. We auditioned for the show and were one of the groups selected. When it came time to learn our choreography, the choreographer made a comment that he tried doing the ensemble's dance steps with his eyes closed, and he couldn't do it, so he concluded that I couldn't either. I felt devastated because I had been working hard in choir and then he told me I couldn't perform the student ensemble choreography. The choir director decided to let me perform anyway and just sing the number with the ensemble. I was gratefully let me do that, but at the same time I felt robbed of an opportunity to prove myself. From this experience I learned that it is important to stay positive and keep working at your dream and trying to change minds even if others don't believe you will succeed. My sophomore and junior years, however, the performances were not as successful. Again, the choir director found someone to work with me. However, this person did not have the same expectations that the former student had had. Instead of encouraging me to do the moves on my own, she stood behind me and moved my arms. It took a lot longer for me to learn the choreography— and on stage during performance she had to help me with most of it. The choir director allowed her to be on stage with me, but he overlooked the fact that she was practically doing it for me. My teacher of the visually impaired, family, and friends all commented that there was no reason for her to be on stage helping me. My TVI helped me with costume changes for one show so that my family could watch the performance after both my numbers she told me that i could have done most of that myself the same thing happened both years my junior year i participated in the student ensemble again it was comprised of the people i had been in the freshman group with but they were all in higher choirs than i was they were familiar with my blindness and it didn't seem like a big deal to them until it was time to learn the choreography The group leader chose to make up the choreography herself instead of having our choreographer do it. When it came time for dance rehearsal, no one bothered to teach me until the week of performance. My choir director told me one person was teaching me, my assistant told me something different, and another student in my choir said she was teaching me. I finally decided to call one of the members whom I knew from Freshman Chorus and who had helped me in that group as well. She agreed to teach me the next day. However, because it was so close to performance, I ended up dropping the group at the last minute because I could not learn the arm movements in time. My senior year, I was determined to make this the best performance, since it was my last one. I told my director that I wanted an assistant to help me learn the choreography, but that I did not want him on stage with me. The director had a hard time finding someone who was free during the first period of the day, but she eventually found someone, and once she did, it worked out fine. This person seemed to know instinctively that I could do the moves by myself. Once I felt confident, I did everything by myself. He was right there, but he never helped me when I didn't need it. It helped that my sister was in the same choir as me, so she sometimes worked with me at home to correct my mistakes. "'I also participated in senior ensemble since it was my last performance. "'That started off shaky, but once somebody taught me the dance, I was okay. "'One of the girls in my choir was also in the group, so she started teaching me. "'However, she seemed to have the expectation that I needed constant help "'and stood behind me and moved my arms. "'So two students, whom I knew from middle school, "'told me that they had decided to teach me instead.' I met with them one-on-one, and we went through it. I learned the routine in about an hour, and by the end of our time I was doing pretty much all of it with very little assistance. Their performance went really well, and my family told me that I fit right in, which is what I wanted. Based on these experiences, I have several suggestions for students dealing with a similar situation. The most important piece of advice is to be confident. It may be difficult at times, but try to stay positive through performance. Second, self-advocacy is critical. If you feel you are not getting the help you need, speak up. Try to talk to the person helping you and let him or her know that you want to do the moves on your own. It may be uncomfortable to bring this up with the student, but as long as you do it tactfully, there should be no problem. You can also ask your orientation and mobility instructor or TVI for help. She may be able to help if there is a particular dance move you are struggling with. Either way, speak up if things aren't going the way they should. Finally, show appreciation. Give the people who helped you learn the choreography a gift card to their favorite restaurant or some flowers. People will be more likely to help you in future ensembles if they know their work is appreciated. Last Show of the Season by Marcia Springston Dillon Reprinted from the Fall 2016 edition of The Rhododendron Editor's Note The Rhododendron is Mountain State Council of the Blind's quarterly newsletter. End of note My last horse show of the season was a success and exciting, to say the least, due to the bad weather and orneriness of my horse. I am totally blind but for several years I have been competing in able-bodied competitions because the Paralympics has become outrageously expensive. In the able-bodied competitions, I am allowed the accommodation of living letters, which are callers at the letters around the dressage arena. My horse's name is Carousel's Poco Soldero, but we just call him Saul. The Spanish name comes from his breeding as an Andalusian, he is a large fellow with a reddish-brown coat and a blond mane and tail. He is a very sweet animal. I love him dearly. But occasionally he shows his ornery streak. His personality reminds me of Alvin in the old Chipmunk song from back in the 60s. Like Alvin, Sol can perform beautifully if I really let him know who is boss. Toward the end of summer, when I was trying to practice for the last dressage show of the year, Saul decided to start having horsey tantrums. It was hot and buggy, and I was working Saul very hard on the circles and figures in our dressage tests. Dressage is considered to be the high school of riding, where horse and rider perform specific figures with balance and harmony. At a show, each competitor rides a prescribed pattern, one at a time, in front of a judge, receiving scores for each of the moves in the test. The arena for dressage is a rectangle 20 by 60 meters and is marked off by a one-foot-high barrier. Just outside the barrier are letters marking the points where the rider must perform a given move or change of gait. I am riding at one of the lower levels because the patterns and moves become much more difficult as you progress up the levels. Anyway, dressage is definitely a challenge, but thrilling when you and the horse get it right. The week leading up to our last show was stressful, with torrential rains, high winds, and Saul was still scaring me with his tantrums. As most blind people have experienced, high wind is disorienting, and to a horse, dried leaves and stuff blowing around is terrifying. Things were definitely not going my way, With the encouragement of my husband and my horsey friends, I decided to put my big-girl boots on and go to that last show. The day of the show was October 22nd. The temperature was only 41 degrees, with the wind still blowing, and we were all shivering except for Saul. I had braided his mane and tail the night before, and I must say he was looking quite spiffy. Our trip to the showgrounds in Salem, Virginia, with the truck and trailer, took about two hours. When we arrived at the show, we found that several people had not shown up because of the bad weather, but fortunately the eight people who had volunteered to be my callers were all there. During the warm-up session is when I teach the callers when to say their letters, because I depend on them for my orientation." During this practice session, Saul spooked at something blowing around, and I almost ran him over the barrier. A few minutes later, there was a big gust of wind, which put me in sort of a whiteout. I couldn't hear anything, so I had to just trust my horse for a minute until the wind died down. Well, when they rang the bell for me to begin my first test, it seemed to finally all come together for us. The letters were excellent. Saul knew it was showtime, and we were definitely in the zone. Saul and I had two nice tests, "'winning second-place ribbons out of six competitors in each class. "'Wow, what a show! "'I am so fortunate to have a husband who encourages me, "'friends willing to stand out in the cold shouting a letter for me, "'and a sassy horse who continues to challenge my courage and riding skill.' Quiet Heroism of Amazing People by Larry P. Johnson Reprinted from The San Antonio Express News, July 30, 2016 Editor's Note Larry Johnson is an author and motivational speaker. You can contact him at L-A-R-J-O, numeral one at prodigy.net Or visit his website at www.mexicobytouch.com End of note. You are so amazing. I can't tell you how many times people have said that to me. But I don't think I am. I just do the best I can each day, whether it's to throw a 14-pound bowling ball at a bunch of pins at the bowling alley poach a couple of eggs for breakfast or write a column for the express news. Sometimes I miss the pins, overcook my eggs, or get the punctuation or spelling wrong in my article. And that's okay because I get to try again. Yet for some sighted folks, it's amazing that I would even want to try. According to the dictionary, to be amazed is to experience great surprise, to be overwhelmed with wonder, I suppose it does surprise some sighted folks to learn that blind people can and do work at real jobs, participate in real sports, graduate from college, raise families, and cook their own breakfasts. The truth is blind people are pretty much like everyone else. We have the same hopes and dreams, the same mixed bag of talents and weaknesses, and we experience our share of both failures and successes. The amazing part is that when we do ordinary, everyday things like everyone else, our achievements are amplified and exaggerated. Of course, there have been some truly amazing blind people like Helen Keller, Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, and Eric Weinmayer, the young blind man who climbed Mount Everest in 2001. But most of us do not aspire to be so amazing. A couple of years ago, I came across a book written by Clifford Olstrom, entitled Undaunted by Blindness. It presented concise biographies of 400 people who refused to let their visual impairment define them. He could have written about 4,000 or 40,000 or 400,000. Blind people are every day achieving success, fulfilling their dreams, doing what everyone else does, living their lives. Every day I meet amazing people who surprise me by their dedication, their talent, or their accomplishments, and they are not blind. They are young single mothers who have to work two jobs in order to make ends meet to raise their children. They are retired seniors who volunteer to drive other seniors to their medical appointments. They are teachers who use their own money to buy school supplies for their students. They are Girl Scout leaders, Red Cross volunteers, school crossing guards, meals-on-wheels drivers, and so many more. These are the truly amazing, caring, and unselfish folks who inspire me and whom I praise for their daily dedication and accomplishments. I recently read about the oldest Holocaust survivor when she passed away at age 110. Her name was Alice Hertz Sommer. She was an inmate of the Terezin concentration camp. Surrounded by death and evil and all those things that might otherwise crush our spirits, Alice found her way to her most beautiful inner peace. Through music, she reached deep into her spirit and found a peace unlike anything she had ever known. When asked how it was that she was able to preserve her optimism and hope, Alice replies simply, Life is beautiful. Wherever you look is beauty. Now that was one amazing woman, and that's how I see it. Instant Braille translator can fit in your hand. Reprinted from CNET. CNET. To read this article online, go to feedproxy. Dot g o o g l e. Dot com slash tilde sign r slash c n e t slash t c o c slash tilde sign numeral three slash v b j capital f lowercase t zero lowercase d c c i c slash an all woman team of six engineering undergraduate students at mit has created an inexpensive handheld device prototype that provides real time translation of printed text to braille which could greatly increase accessibility of written materials for the blind. Team Tactile was one of the winners of the Lemelson-MIT Student Prize this year for their creation, which translates printed text into the raised dot language. Here's how it works. The device has an internal camera that takes photos of the printed text, which is then converted into digital text using optical character recognition software. Next, the text is translated into Braille, and the mechanical system raises and lowers pins on the surface of the tactile that form the characters to be read by one's fingertips. Though the current version is limited in the number of characters it can translate and display, the team hopes to make the device capable of scanning an entire page at a time and displaying two lines of text at once. In a world of audiobooks and text-to-audio technology, why is Braille still important? Though audio systems are easier to use, they don't instill the same understanding of language as a written system like Braille does. Studies have shown that Braille literacy significantly improves employment opportunities for the blind. But right now, less than 10% of blind Americans can read it. Part of the problem is that creating braille texts is costly, greatly limiting choices for the visually impaired. The tactile device has the potential to open up entire libraries of books to the blind. And while there are products on the market that translate digital texts to braille, there are some drawbacks. Not all documents are available electronically. Also, these devices are very expensive, and are designed to work with laptops and computers, making them less than portable. Team Tactile hopes to make their handheld translator available for less than $200. The six women, Chen Wang, Chandani Doshi, Grace Lee, Jessica Shi, Charlene Shea, and Tanya Yu, met freshman year at MIT. The original Tactile was the result of a hackathon they entered as a team of friends just for fun. Now they're receiving patent help and mentorship through Microsoft's hashtag Make What's Next, a program that encourages talented women who are creating technology for positive change. Though all six team members are graduating this year, they hope to continue working on the tactile and their larger ambition to improve the world one innovative solution at a time. BOOK REVIEW GIVING A LISTEN TO THE UNTOLD STORY OF THE TALKING BOOK by Bill Holton, reprinted from Access World, April 2017 I received my first talking book player sometime in 1969, about two years after I was no longer able to read most printed material. This was one of the old black-fabric-covered players weighing about ten pounds with a one-quarter-inch headphone jack located at one corner of the fold-up speaker. Soon after I received my first Sony reel-to-reel, and I can still recall the excitement I experienced with the arrival of each new book in its heavy strapped container filled with either several reels of magnetic tape or a stack of discs snuggled in paper sleeves that usually reeked of cigarette smoke. My first recording for the blind, now learning ally, order, included seventy books I had always wanted to read and their textbooks were critical in obtaining both my undergraduate and graduate degrees. I have witnessed a large portion of the history of talking books personally, from those heavy disc players to their lightweight plastic replacements, from discs to cassettes to the leap over CD titles directly, if not belatedly, to digital cartridges and downloads. I have also enjoyed an audible subscription since late 2000, setting my 56K modem to download a book before I went to bed with the hope that it would be there come morning, so I could load it onto my cutting-edge digital audio player. Despite my nearly half-century with talking books, recorded textbooks, and commercially available bestsellers, there is still a lot of history I missed. The concept of a talking book goes all the way back to Thomas Edison whose very first recording was Mary Had a Little Lamb. There's a lot of history between that first lost recording and my latest Audible download. Happily, this history has been researched and compiled in an excellent new book from Harvard University Press, The Untold Story of the Talking Book, by Matthew Rubery. The book is available in multiple formats, hardcover, Kindle, iBook, audiobook edition, and audio CD. I felt it only proper to obtain the audiobook version, which is produced by Blackstone Audio. Although the book's title uses the term talking book, this history is not limited to books produced by the Library of Congress and the Royal National Institute of Blind People. The author uses this term because, as you will see, originally it was a goal, a dream waiting for technology to catch up in order to be realized. Preface The author begins with an extended preface wrestling with three issues surrounding recorded books. Does an audiobook have standing as an actual book? The public's changing reception and acceptance of audiobooks? The still-ongoing controversy over whether listening to a book counts as reading? Rubery presents the facts without judgment, though in my personal opinion there is one area in which the facts are incomplete. When discussing whether listening to a book is the same as reading, the author cites studies of Braille readers in which they discover that the visual cortex of such readers is stimulated the same as it is with print readers. In people who listen to books, these areas are not stimulated. There seems to be little research as to what happens when a blind person listens to an audiobook. Myself, I often find my eyes tracking from left to right as I listen, especially when I am listening to synthesized speech, where the line breaks are more obvious and the letters and words appear in my mind's eye. I asked a blind friend who has never read print and who is a proficient Braille reader about this. He relates the same phenomenon— only with Braille letters and words. Interestingly, both of us find ourselves visualizing the words of overheard conversations when we are bored. The remainder of the book is divided into three parts. Origins of Audiobooks, Talking Books for the Blind, and Audiobooks Go Mainstream. Origins of Audiobooks the very first recording Thomas Edison ever made was a recitation of Mary Had a Little Lamb, which can be considered the first audiobook. The original recording was lost, but Edison did re-record it. And you can hear this recording on YouTube. The link is www.youtube.com slash question mark V Capital Y capital B capital X lowercase YU capital Y numeral two capital J numerals two zero O ampersand F E A T U R E equal sign Y O U T U dot B E Since recording technology could only capture minutes of sound at the time. The dream of audiobooks was just that, a dream. But it is fun learning about some of the grandiose dreams some people had, including hats containing audio encyclopedias, stores stocked with books in bottles, and public books with tubes leading in through the windows of nearby houses so the great works of literature could be played to all. Talking Books for the Blind The lion's share of this book is devoted to the history of talking books for the blind, which were originally sponsored here in the U.S. by our own American Foundation for the Blind, and in Great Britain by the Royal National Institute of Blind People. In both cases, it took the blinded veterans of World War I to spur action. Prior to the war, blindness was not considered a societal obligation, but blinded veterans were a different matter. The first talking book produced by AFB and the Library of Congress was a recording of The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. It was followed by such patriotic documents as the Declaration of Independence and Lincoln's second inaugural address. I am told that the Library of Congress still has copies of these old recordings. I'd like to take this opportunity to encourage them to create a sampler book of some of these recordings. At first it was deemed that all recorded books should be instructional and inspirational. Very little fiction was allowed at first, but readers began to demand it, and so things changed. Rubery offers a number of snippets of correspondence from early readers. I was especially amused by the woman who excoriated the service severely for sending her what she considered to be a filthy book but ended her letter by requesting she be sent another book by the same author. The book covers the issues of book selection, censorship, both sexual and political, and the move from active to passive narration, where the narrator does his or her best to remain in the background. It also delves into the initial difficulties encountered when seeking rights. For example, both Margaret Mitchell and Rudyard Kipling resisted for years having their books recorded for the blind, as both were convinced the recordings would wind up being played on the radio and thus affect future book royalties. Initially, Helen Keller was against talking books, as she felt it would diminish braille literacy. However, since most blind people were older and did not know braille, She changed her viewpoint, and, in fact, it was due to her encouragement the Library of Congress became involved. Audiobooks go mainstream. Ironically, according to Rubery, it was the success of talking books for the blind that for years inhibited the general public from considering audiobooks. Recorded books were for the blind, and they were a lazy way to read, and it wasn't really reading anyway. Not until 1952, when an upstart recording company called Cadman Audio released Dylan Thomas's A Child's Christmas in Wales did people begin listening to what were then called spoken word recordings. Indeed, I find on Wikipedia that the original recording was a 2008 selection for the United States National Recording Registry, stating that it is credited with launching the audiobook industry in the United States. I'd like to amend that to commercially available audiobooks. Other famous authors followed, including Carl Sandburg and Arthur C. Clarke. An LP's still limited space meant there were considerable abridgements, which led to adaptions and even dramatizations with full casts, music, and sound effects. Rubery concludes the book with a history of commercially available audiobooks, from books on tape all the way through books on CD, and now downloadable books from various sources, including the reigning king, Audible. The old arguments have returned. Should the works be dramatized or narrated in a neutral voice that stays out of the way of the narrative? Are we reading or listening to books, which can now even be read to us by artificial speech? There is also one new controversy not present in Talking Books for the Blind. Should the complete text be recorded, or are abridgments okay? Happily, the last of these has more or less been decided on the unabridged side of the argument. As for the other two, does it really matter? Either way, we are consuming more books, making better use of our time to read or listen on the go. Here I have to agree wholeheartedly with the author when he sums up the audiobook experience delightfully. Audiobooks are for people who hate reading and for those of us who love reading. Audiobooks are for people who can't read and for people who can't read enough. Epilogue When I was sixteen, I read what was available. These days I read what I want. If I see an interesting author on TV or hear about a great new book on NPR's fresh air, I can nearly always find it available in some accessible format immediately. I can't imagine a life without books, and this book was a real eye-opener as to all it took to get us from there to here. Above all, let us not forget that sighted or blind, for nearly all of us, our first experience with books was via the spoken word the voices of our mothers and fathers who read to us and instilled in us the joys and pleasures of a good book. About the Author Matthew Rubery is an audiobook historian and professor of modern literature at Queen Mary University of London. He edited the essay collection Audiobooks, Literature, and Sound Studies and co-curated How We Read, A Sensory History of Books for Blind People a public exhibition held at the U.K.'s first annual Being Human Festival. Book Information Title The Untold Story of the Talking Book by Matthew Rubery, Harvard University Press Available from Harvard University Press, Amazon, Audible, Barnes & Noble Here and There, edited by Sharon Strakowski The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACB Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to slovering at acb.org or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Want to win a Fitbit? We all know it's important to eat healthy, get a good night's sleep, carve out some quiet time, and get in some physical activity. But it can be hard to break free from old habits. If you're looking for some motivation, check out Anna Dresner's new book, 10,000 Steps, Cane Not Included, a guide to fitness tech for blind users. It's available in Braille, one volume, BRF, Word, and DAISY. In this book, Anna takes you on a tour of some great options for weaving meditation and exercise into your daily routine and for improving the quality of your sleep. She covers a wide spectrum of available resources so that whether you're just starting out or a fitness fan looking for something new, there's something in this book for you. And she has tested these resources so that she can give you a first-hand account of how they work. Whether it's accessible audio programs, apps, or fitness trackers, she has put them through their paces to see what they can do for you. So, if you've been meaning to get more active but just needed a push to get started, check out this book. Need more motivation? Everyone who gets this book by July 31, 2017 will be automatically entered to win one of three wearable Fitbits, a Fitbit Flex 2, to help you track your activity and exercise. For more information, contact National Braille Press, one 800 Five four eight seven three two three, or visit www.nbp.org ic slash nbp slash p-u-b-l-i-c-a-t-i-o-n-s slash i-n-d-e-x the re-image story contest the Reimage is an online campaign to recreate the image of people with vision loss while establishing new possibilities. With the sighted world as the audience for this project, The Reimage uses written stories and audio pieces about and by people with vision loss to demonstrate that regardless of our vision level as people, we are more alike than different. Therefore, our human and life experiences are the focus of these stories rather than our vision loss. In other words, the stories are not about how we lost our vision or what great resources are available to us, but about our experiences with raising children, owning a home, taking a trip, enjoying the outdoors, working at a job, spending time with friends, dealing with family issues, managing a household, relaxing with a favorite hobby, getting an education, planning a wedding, hiking a mountain, sailing into the sunset, and more. While previously published stories may be considered for the re-image, original material is given greater consideration. The re-image is holding a contest for stories submitted between July 1 and November 1, 2017. Entries will be judged on how well they exemplify the re-image mission, storytelling ability, Originality, and writing skill. Stories should not exceed 1,500 words. Visit T H E R E I M A G E dot net to review the submission guidelines and previously published stories. Monetary prizes of $100, $50, and $25 will be awarded to first, second, and third place winners, respectively. The winning stories and other entries that fit with the reimage mission will be published on the website. While November 1 is the deadline for contest entries, the reimage seeks content on an ongoing basis to keep the website fresh. Stories and story ideas can be emailed to content at net, submitted via the website or sent in your preferred format to The Reimage, P.O. Box 13019, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17110. I See You See A set of snap-together glasses designed by students at Rice University lets people with diabetes see into the future and know that without proper care, the future does not look good. The glasses, developed by the ICUC team, will help doctors show patients how their vision could deteriorate over time due to diabetic retinopathy, an eye disease that can result from uncontrolled diabetes and lead to blindness. They hope the tool will encourage patients to follow their doctor's protocols. The lenses show them how retinopathy progressively damages a patient's vision. The four stages illustrated by the lenses start with macular edema, which is seen as single dot in the center of your vision. By the final lens, very little can be seen through a mottled but mostly black pattern. Though the glasses are geared specifically to low-resource settings like those served by the Rice 360-degree Institute for Global Health, they hope anyone who works with patients with diabetes will find them helpful. BANA Welcomes New Member The Braille Authority of North America, BANA, held its spring meeting March 12-14 in San Francisco, California. The meeting was hosted by the California Transcribers and Educators of the Blind and Visually Impaired, CTEBVI. During the meeting, BANA's board reviewed committee reports and acted on the committee's recommendations. The board welcomed Vivian Secchi, the new representative from the Hadley Institute for the Blind and Visually Impaired, and approved the application for full membership of the Accessibility Solutions and Research Center, AMAC, in Atlanta, Georgia. It also discussed an updated strategic plan. The fall board meeting will be held November 1-4 through in Winnetka, Illinois. Now available from National Braille Press. National Braille Press has some new books in the technology section. One is Microsoft Outlook Keystroke Compendium, available in Braille, BRF, and Word. It covers Outlook 2016, Outlook 2013, Outlook 2010, and Outlook 2007. In it, you'll learn how to use Outlook to manage email, set and assign tasks, schedule meetings, and more, all using... Keyboard Shortcuts, U.S. Keyboards Only. Also available is Android Commands and Settings, a reference guide for eyes-free users, by Anna Garza, available in Braille, BRF, and Word. This reference guide of Android Commands with Brief Explanations assumes you already know how to use Android, but may occasionally need help remembering an accessibility command or setting. If you have a Mac with the new Sierra operating system, this book's for you. The Mac Sierra operating system, a brief overview of what's new, by Janet Ingber, is available in Braille, BRF, Word, and DAISY. Got the new iPhone with iOS 10? Check out Getting Started with the iPhone and iOS 10, Step-by-Step Instructions for Blind Users, by Anna Dresner. It, too, is available in Braille, BRF, Word, ASCII text, and DAISY. It's NBP's new edition of the iPhone tutorial. And in the magazine section, there are a couple of special offers available. Syndicated Columnists Weekly is now free for one year for new subscribers only. Also available is our special magazine, written and edited especially for blind women. It covers career issues, fashion, parenting, cooking, crafts, travel, fiction, and health. If you would like to subscribe to either magazine for the first time, call 617-266-6160, extension 520. Over in the children's section, newly available is Besos for Baby, A Little Book of Kisses by Jen Arena. It's a print braille board book in English and Spanish. Everybody has a kiss for the baby, from mom and dad to the family dog and cat. The book uses simple Spanish words and is a gem to read aloud to your little ones. Also available is Sweet Dreams, Dulces Sueños. New in nonfiction is No Barriers, A Blind Man's Journey to Kayak the Grand Canyon by Eric Weinmayer and Buddy Levy. It's available as a downloadable BRF, seven volumes. Hardcover print and audio editions are available through Amazon. Eric was the first blind person to summit Mount Everest. Since then, he's led expeditions around the world with blind Tibetan teenagers, helped injured soldiers climb their way home from war, adopted a son from Nepal, and faced the most terrifying reach of his life to solo kayak the white water of the Grand Canyon. Is there a cook in your life who could use some new recipes? Check out Fast and Fresh Salads by Kate Sherwood, available in Braille, one volume, or BRF. Kate is the healthy cook of NutritionAction.com, N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N-A-C-T-I-O-N dot com, and she has created these recipes so that you can love salads as much as she does. What's her secret? Fresh quality ingredients with different colors and textures, and well-balanced salad dressings. The recipes were created to meet Nutrition Action's healthy standards. Each one lists its nutritional information so you can find one that meets your needs. For more information, contact National Braille Press 1-800-548-7323 or visit www.nbp.org ic slash nbp slash p-u-b-l-i-c-a-t-i-o-n-s slash i-n-d-e-x dot h-t-m-l Does Your Brailler Need Fixing? Paul Nelson repairs Perkins brailers repairs are $65 plus cost of parts call him at 405-640-9706 high tech swap shop for sale hp desktop computer in very good condition has 1 terabyte hard drive 4 gigs ram windows 7 jaws 15 and microsoft office Includes monitor, asking $250. Samsung laptop in great condition with 15.6 inch screen, 250 gig hard drive, 4 gigs RAM, Windows 7, JAWS 15, Microsoft Office, asking $300. Brand new Bluetooth speaker, medium size, with 15 hour battery life, asking $80 call José Luis at 626-727-1537 or at home, 626-241-9302. For sale, MacBook Air with 500 gig flash storage, built-in display, 11.6-inch screen, Intel HD Graphics 6000, 1536-meg processor, and one point six gigahertz intel core i five asking nine hundred seventy five dollars contact philip ashley at seven zero three five eight one nine five eight seven or email p h i l i p hyphen a s h l e y two zero zero six at h o t m a i l dot com for sale olympus d m six two zero Digital Recorder with Accessories We'll ship free matter for the blind. Asking $75. Contact Johnny at 803-327-2759. Wanted Used Braille Sense U2 or Braille Sense Plus in good condition. Don't have much money, but willing to work with you. Contact Hiram at 719-635-8478 or via email HYRUM3775 at GMAIL.com. ACB Officers President Kim Charlson, Second Term, 2017, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, zero two four seven two. First Vice President Jeff Tom, Second Term, 2017, 7414 Mooncrest Way, Sacramento, California, 95831 4046. Second Vice President, John McCann, first term, 2017, 8761 East Placita Boulevard, Tucson, Arizona, 85715 5650. Secretary, Ray Campbell second term 2017 460 Rain Tree Court number 3K Glen Ellen Illinois 60137 treasurer Carla Rushville third term 2017 148 Vernon Avenue Louisville Kentucky 40206 immediate past president Mitch Pomerantz one 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 Five Cordova Street, Number Four Zero Two, Pasadena, California, Nine One One Zero Six. A C B Board of Directors: Jeff Bishop, Tucson, Arizona, First Term Twenty Twenty; Denise Colley, Lacey, Washington, First Term Twenty Twenty; Sarah Conrad, Madison, Wisconsin, Final Term Twenty Twenty. Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee, 1st Term, 2020 Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio, 1st Term, 2018 George Holliday, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Final Term, 2018 Alan Peterson, Horace, North Dakota, Final Term, 2018 Patrick Sheehan, Silver Spring, Maryland, 1st Term, 2018 Dan Spoon, Orlando, Florida, Final Term, 2020 David Trott, Talladega, Alabama, First Term, 2018 Ex Officio, Ron Brooks, Phoenix, Arizona ACB Board of Publications Ron Brooks, Chairman, Phoenix, Arizona, First Term, 2017 Paul Edwards, Miami, Florida, First Term, 2018 Susan Glass, Saratoga, California, first term 2017; Debbie Lewis, Seattle, Washington, first term 2018; Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, second term 2018; ex officios: Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio; Bob Hoshay, Waltham, Massachusetts; Burl Colley, Lacey, Washington; Carla Rushival, Louisville, Kentucky. Accessing your ACB Braille and E-forums. The ACB E-forum may be accessed by email on the ACB website, via download from the web page in Word, plain text or Braille ready file, or by phone at 605-475-8154. To subscribe to the email version, visit the ACB email lists page at www.acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail in Braille, large print, half-speed four-track cassette tape, data CD, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone, 605-475-8154 subscribe to the podcast versions from your second generation Victor Reader stream or from www.acb.org/bf